reading net. This is Reading Roulette, the world's only choose-your-own-adventure literary podcast. Hosted by Brian Ward. I'm Bill Lyon, and this week, choose-your-own-adventure number three, By Balloon to the Sahara by D. Terman. This is part one of two. Reading Choose. Reading. Roulette. Choose your own. Reading. Roulette. Choose your own. Adventure. Podcast. Do you ride the Floating high above the earth in a giant balloon, below you is the Sahara Desert with its endless golden sands, hundreds of camels, and mud-walled villages. Suddenly you see a large silver dome twinkling in the distance. Should you land the balloon and see what it is? If it's a flying saucer, it might be dangerous. Should you play it safe and stay in the clouds? If you decide to land, pull the cord and descend to page 16. If you decide to keep going, Drift ahead to page 17. So this is number three in the Choose Your Own Adventure series, which goes, what, 184? And, uh, and not counting. And so this is really, we're in the kind of the beginning days almost. This is like the silent film kind of days of Hollywood. This is the uh, golden era as far as uh, experimentation goes. Yeah, I don't know if we're really in the talkies or not yet. How can you tell? The scent comes to me. No. But, uh, it's kind of a little rough, but there's kind of some beauty to how crazy things get because there's no real rules yet to choose your this, own adventure. Uh, this determine who actually has a very interesting backstory, supposedly he flew... <laughs> He was an interceptor with some bombing squadrons. He was a launch commander for something. I don't know what an Atlas ICBM is. Well, I do. That's you do? nuclear weapon. Well, I do. That's you do? Nuclear weapon. Well, I do. I do. That's you do? Nuclear weapon. Well, I do. I thought it was a giant computer. I thought it was a giant computer. No. This dude, and I think, in here, in the book, he mentions the Atlas Mountains at one point. Yeah, you're right. And I felt like it was some code. Some guy a lot of code who knew a little too much. Le, le something. Le, le po- CIA. Le police de... <laughs> le NSA. He was also a technical advisor to some government agencies, strategic and intelligence planning. And he also spent quite a few years sailing the Caribbean and the European. Twelve waters. years. <laughs> the European sailed the European. <laughs> Which is quite a long time to be said, which is funny because you think he would have written Journey Under the Sea. They got him on a balloon. Probably the one thing he didn't know anything about. Well, obviously, and we took it real quickly into the sea. If you notice, he took every opportunity to get you off of this balloon and into the ocean. I think Ari Montgomery stole his book. Don't you? I mean, this dude wanted to talk about nuclear weapons and and underwater. He says here at the end, like, he was an author of a novel of political intrigue, The Three Megaton Gamble. You know what that's about? Nuclear weapons. <laughs> I thought it was about horse racing. Yeah. Did you get to The Three Megaton Gamble as uh, part of your research oh, for yeah, this of episode? Course. I looked for the film. There was no movie adaptation. Hey, so you found out some really cool shit about this dude. I found out some fascinating things, things I didn't even know existed. I've seen a monkey die from the cruel fangs of the leopard protecting a young one that belonged to another. 
This guy is basically not a Bond villain, but what would the opposite of a Bond villain be? Bond entrepreneur? This guy and one of his friends misspelled every time I said his name was like Haze or Hazel or Blaze or every time misspelled every time I said his name was like He and his friend bought an island near St. Vincent and converted the entire island into luxury resorts. So supposedly, if you ever go to this island, much like what happens in one of these stories, if you're ever marooned on an island, you don't have to worry if you're on Determined's Island. <laughs> There's not going to be anyone with a laser or a saber in your face. But basically, if you look at the pictures of this place, it's like your go-to fantasy island resort. Aside from some weird paneling choices and everything like that. You will be safe here so long as the doors and windows remain barred. But it's a beautiful looking island, and I guess him and his friend basically created a luxury resort island. It's amazing. Yeah. Do you think he hides from his rich friends that he uh, wrote a Choose Your Own Adventure book? I wonder. Because he, he didn't write a second one. <laughs> I don't know if it was an invite only or... Listen, uh, if you're this rich and this connected, you can write as many Choose Your Own Adventure books as you want. <laughs> If you've got the nuclear launch codes if you and you've you built an island, you can frickin' say, hey, I'd like to write a chooser, and they say thank you. Please. You can call your own shots, and, yeah. you know, this is the only one that's credited to him. If we ever see some of his pet themes come up again, if there's ever anything where uh, salt comes into play again at a later date. Mm -hmm. So you think uh, you think this guy and Ari Montgomery were friends? Supposedly, he met all these guys when he went to live in Vermont after the life of a nuclear intelligence island entrepreneur. When that got pretty boring for him. He ended up in Vermont and he likes to ski, supposedly, and hang out with mid-range authors. And hang out with mid-range authors. And hang out with mid-range authors. I mean, listen, this is book three, right? This so is book he's, three. He's in so on the he's ground in floor. on the ground floor. Absolutely. So they hadn't written it. Edward Packard is some hippie dude who's mm -hmm. like, I might be working on a, on a novel for kids. I, I got this idea. I'm, I, I like some Carl Sagan stuff. I like some pirate, you know, oh, stuff. Oh, you think they I got some things going on. Like you and I would talk about bands. These guys are like, I love Arthur C. Clarke. And they yeah, kind of get a conversation you know, again, going. The Twilight Zone, all this stuff. Who yeah. knows? You get a lawyer and a publisher and nuclear entrepreneur, <laughs> you know, over some cognac or something in a ski lodge. All right. God knows what comes over this. I can only imagine uh, the next morning, one of those hazy recollections of what was said. Sure, they wake up with the, the wrong wife. The, the wrong you know, wife. it's just like, yeah. You are visiting France with your two best friends, Peter and Sarah. For a lark, you all rent a balloon. Peter packs a picnic basket, and Sarah buys a large jug of fresh milk. Harry, your dog, begs to come along, and you let him scramble in. At last, you lift off and start your adventure. To the north, you can see the white-capped Alps, and to the south, the blue waters of the Mediterranean Sea. As you drift over villages, people look up and wave at you. Suddenly, you notice storm clouds approaching from the north. He does mention one thing that I still uh, sticks in my mind. There's not a lot of great descriptions in here, but he calls the moon. He, he describes the moon Ooh. as... Do you remember a that? slipper moon. A slipper moon. It's beautiful. That's amazing. I've never heard that in my life. I mean, some of these descriptions to... Here's another kind of... You're very early in the book. You're uh, in that balloon, and he says, uh, Cities of white with minarets. Cool oases with date palms. I love it. Mm. If they just kept coming, kept coming with that stuff. Here's, but here's it's very few and far between. Here's another one. 
uh, but on a hot sum- on, but on hot summer evenings when the wind is dry and the sun hangs like a ripe orange on the horizon, you remember the vast space and mystery of the Sahara and secretly wish to return. Beautiful. Yeah, very nice. I'm just some generic. Was, was that from the English patient? Or is no, that exactly. From... Exactly. Now that's that's some excellent writing. So yeah, he sets the scene here. You you feel like you're on this balloon. Today, Africa is divided into many states. Ruled by the British, the French, the Belgians, the Spanish, the Egyptians. Three friends in France, and basically you're sailing over to Algeria. You know, he doesn't mention Algeria, but like that's kind of implied that you're going to... And that night they hired camels at El Basra, uh, south to Algeria. It's implied, but it's also fascinating that it's almost on a whim. There's that dynamic between Peter and Sarah. Peter just wants to go to Africa. Yeah. For some reason. And Sarah is like the white Anglo person who just wants you to go to Iceland or get get the hell out of there. Settle down. Have a have a kid. My mother is dead. I don't even remember her. You know? Just wants to trap you. Yeah, Man, she, she you just wants to dog. trap you. She just yeah. wants to cut your cut your wings. <laughs> but it's hilarious from the planning. That's what I love about these plucky kids. They bring milk and a picnic basket, fly to Africa in a balloon. Why not? Hey, and in the seventies. You could get three kids and your dog in a hot air balloon, no problem. You just walk up to the hot air balloon guy. He's like, how much you <laughs> yeah, got? Right. You're right. <laughs> he's like, $20 if you want to bring the dog, too. You're like, oh, man. <laughs> and he lets you go. And your parents would be like, fine, just be back for dinner. And the dog is, woof. Yeah. Did some cute little thing. It was a different on. time. Oh, man. Oh, man. There's no adults. There can't be, because there can't be that constriction. The, the kids have to feel comfortable Like enough. anything is possible. Yeah, if this were written today, it would be called Homeland Security Ruin, <laughs> Ruins Your Balloon Adventure. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that would be it. You would be shot down immediately. How can you tell? Sent. How can you tell? Sent. How can you tell? How can you tell? How can you tell? Sent comes to me. Hey, Sahara, that word, it kind of dragged me in. <laughs> really? Really? Yeah. Well, I think as a kid, that was like the best time, the future. All this stuff is so impressive and getting all this information and this three-dimensional whales, these rides, three-dimensional whales, these rides, three-dimensional whales, these rides, three-dimensional whales, these rides. Until a moment ago, I was but a spectator, but your decision forces me to step forward. Spectacular things. So on this horizon ride, so you could select the end of this ride. You could either pick space, you could go underwater, or you could go to the desert. The oh. very last place I think probably anyone wanted to go. It's the last choice. Space. Space. Hell yes. Underwater, fine. Fine. <laughs> that's that's the emotion. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> underwater. Fine. fine. Why not? Underwater tra- this in this era we felt like it was gonna happen. You kinda felt like, okay, we're all going into space sure, and sure. spaceships. And also we're gonna be living underwater with fucking Ringo. 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 And it, it, it didn't happen. Absolutely. So really, the only plausible outcome here, we should have chosen desert, because that's where we're all going <laughs> to be living that's pretty, soon. Yeah, this is the closest to reality, <laughs> floating around in a, in a friggin' balloon with two friends. I thought that was amazing. Because imagine if you and I were going to get in a balloon. Yeah. Imagine before we set off. If I had brought you a big jug of milk. If you brought me a big jug of milk and I brought you a picnic basket, we'd be pretty happy. We'd be closer, that's for sure. <laughs> 
Hey, <laughs> did you ever see that Saturday Night Live sketch? It's with um, Ian McKellen. I'm going to screw this up. I think they just call it Murder in a Hot Air Balloon. <laughs> oh, I wish I did. Oh, Sounds man. Good. It might be my favorite sketch that I might have made up in my mind. It doesn't exist. I'm pretty sure it exists, though. Okay. And so he wears the Sherlock Holmes outfit, I think. Oh, there's a murder, and there's eight people crammed in this hot air balloon, and they got to <laughs> run around and search for like clues. And it's like real obvious what happened. It's really funny. But to, like I was thinking about that throughout this book because D. Terman has to use every possible possible excuse to get you out of the balloon because really there's nothing that can happen in a balloon i think when he thought of this book he was like this is a great idea adventure balloon it's gonna take us to all these vistas and realms and, and it does but you gotta get, out, you gotta of the get out of the balloon so brian if i'm in a hot air balloon adventure the first thing i'm thinking is submarine 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 well i'm glad you've said that bill because good the sailor says we're glad to have you with us. Come this way and I'll have you meet Captain Zud. You climb down through a hatch and are guided along dimly lit corridors. A metal panel slides back noiselessly and the sailor guides you into the captain's cabin. Captain Zud looks up from his desk. He is very old, his face weather-beaten, but kind. Welcome aboard my ship, he says. What ye see in here must be kept secret. My crew and I are tracking the whaling ships of the world, trying to preserve the great whales from extinction. When we find a whaling ship attacking whales, we attack the whaling ship. He thumps his fist down on the desk. We try to save the crews, but it's more important that we save our friends of the deep from this wicked slaughter. He points to the pictures of whaling ships. Many of them have X's crossed over the photograph. Will ye take an oath and help me save the whales? Or must I keep ye prisoner until we can find a place to put ye ashore? <laughs> ye ashore. So like this 18th century Greenpeace dude? The <laughs> uh, whale wars guy? Is he, is this ahead of its time or behind its time? Both. It's both, right? It's both. Captain Zud is forward thinking. The Z, the Zud yeah. name itself sounds like it's from science fiction, right? He's like from the year 2498. Yeah, I think it's a smear of ink that came out wrong on the... It's Pirate, yeah, environmentalist. But he's, he's also, also like a person. Yeah. He's, 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 he's a pirate. He's the, the most environmentalist. He's, he's, he's the most superficial pirate. Yeah, environmentalist. But he's also a person. Yeah. He's, he's, he's a pirate. He's the most environmentalist. <laughs> The dialogue's pretty funny. Environmentalist crusader is also talks like a 17th, 18th century pirate. Don't you think that's so refreshing that it's not one of these stupid missions where he's like, oh, we're going to help this guy yeah. or heard that. I love the fact that he values whales yeah, more than human hey, listen, life. You I chose to save the whales. What did you choose, Brian? You know, uh... <laughs> oh, you have to pause? Oh, you have to pause. <laughs> you right. have to think about right. it, don't you? Yeah, I did not side with, with man. <laughs> I dislike killing animals, but it's the law of nature. <laughs> on this choice. Good. And I was rewarded for it. Hell yes, you were. Actually, was I? Well, there's two ways that you can screw this. You either murder a, a ship of whalers Which and, I and did. feel really good about it. I did. And there's a second ending where you murder them and you feel bad. You turn yourself in, write a book about it, yeah. and uh, that you feel good because you wrote the book. And you get to you get out of prison because you feel sorry. You get some kind of amnesty. And then there's one where you that's just a glorious victory of an ending. Yeah. Yeah. We're both card-carrying whale ship killers. Dude, yeah. Right, Bill? Listen, though, uh, okay, could I... Uh, 
this is some pretty funny dialogue here. So you're all kind of into this very elaborate, technocratic uh, whale killer captain. Mm -hmm. Captain Zud tells you that it will be a long time before he can put you safely ashore. This is if you elect to not be right. a part of his uh, kill-a-thon. And he says, in the meanwhile, he instructs his first mate, teach them to operate the electronic listening device that helps us to follow the whales. There's no name for it. He calls it the electronic, <laughs> electronic listening device that helps us to follow the whales. That might as well be in all caps. Couldn't he just invent something there? He took wide detours to avoid animals that might frighten her. I mean, if I'm an editor, I'm saying... <laughs> Teach them to operate the XJ32, the electronic the, listening the whale device. Listening device. Yeah. Sure, sure. But no, he has to call it that. Well, he still uses uh, ye very yeah. liberally. So he's that obviously, maybe, maybe he doesn't know himself. And he's also recruiting children to be part of his whale killing adventure. He gives you, con he gives you control of torpedoes. So he's obviously very loose with terminology, uh, morals, and ethics. Basically, he's somebody who's been a dad. That ending is my favorite of them. Every day, you listen to the whales as they move south in great pods. And after months of listening, you begin to recognize a pattern in their squeaks and grunts. It is a language just like ours, you excitedly tell your friends. With the help of Peter and Sarah, you construct a computer and use this to try to understand the speech of the whales. After months of study, you finally learn their language. With Captain Zud's enthusiastic approval, you build an underwater loudspeaker and begin talking back to the whales. Soon they are telling you secrets of the oceans and the history of the seven seas. Proudly, the submarine enters port, followed by a pod of 50 whales. You call a press conference and astound the world with your ability to communicate with whales. Man's knowledge of the oceans and his new friendship with whales forever stops the senseless slaughter of your friends of the deep. And although you are now known as a great scientist, you mostly enjoy cruising on the back of a whale through tropic oceans, singing together the great whale songs of the sea. Wow. Awesome. Did that not take you by complete surprise? Talk about a victory. <laughs> oh my god. I never wanted to be a pacifist on a whale killing ship more and more in my life. Talk about a promotion. <laughs> and that's how I feel about this. You're just three kids flying a balloon, you dump in the sea, and then you figure out how to speak whale and ride, and ride a whale. Ride on the back of a whale. Singing, singing whale with songs. them, talking with the whales. That rules. If I'm a kid, Hell, if I'm me, that's the awesomest thing that can happen to you in life. That remains to be seen. Can you imagine actually riding on a whale? I couldn't before I read this, <laughs> and now I freaking can. It's you get, awesome. You get this beautiful mental image, too, of the sun going down, oh. the golden rays of the sunlight on the water, riding anything that majestic, yeah. like the never-ending story, I mean, riding oh, Felcor. Yeah. Uh, what an amazing dragon. Yeah. Mammoth. Dragon, of course. Whale. Wow. I think whale might be number one. Not only is this victory for yourself, you have to believe that this Captain Zud got complete amnesty for all of his maritime slaughter. Court is now in session. Dude, you know why? Because these whales could testify. Exactly. They could name names. Awesome. They could freaking be in court. Can they you could imagine the testimony? Oh, law and order. Whales. Law and order. Whales. Whales. Law and order. Whales.
Law and order. Order! 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 Order in the courtroom! Lions. Wheels. Beautiful. And this was on the uh, that Star Trek. You remember they go back to Earth? One of the movies, you know, and they're right? Yeah, it's like oh, number yeah. four. They're talking about whales, and that was like the whale song music. I mean, whales were like red hot for a while. There like was a moment 80s. where we almost decided, as a as a civilization, not to kill all nature. Yeah. But then we like got off of that, but we were like, there was a point. <laughs> it was, was damn that, close. It was like 1993. Was we all were close. like, we're gonna not destroy nature. And New then, Age music, Star yeah. Trek. Anya, 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 Anya. So I think this was maybe the Fergie's first foothold of... Yeah, of, this could have got it. the party started. But yeah, what a tremendous ending. Killing the whaling ships by the... Felt good, You dude. know, by the dozens was nice. Felt real good. But taking the pacifist route was... Wow. What a reward. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So after that whaling adventure, we have a, a little more balloon-centered adventure. All right, uh, bringing it back to the balloon. Doing some balloon recon for a desert chieftain. Sounds good, doesn't it? Uh, here's some of the stuff that happens to you. Just give you a quick blow-by. You got a Crusader-era Moorish horseman capture you. Their chief asks you to use your balloon for a recon mission. Burned to death by a rival balloonist who wields a mirror in sunlight. Discover your hot air balloon doppelganger. Attain peace between salt-needing aliens and water-needing moors. All that and more coming up on Balloon Recon for Desert Chieftain. <laughs> yeah. North African Chieftain Division. Even though the submarine whale ending is majestic, this is maybe the heart of the book. You also have this uh, true balloon section, I call it, where you're just going south through the Sahara. So It's a beautiful part. It's a beautiful section of the book. It is like the core of the journey. Basically, very early in the book, you, you crash. Your balloon crashes right across the Mediterranean on the shore of Africa horsemen and they capture you. He's known as Chieftain. Red robes, dagger, sword. He's a badass <laughs> North African Chieftain. He has no problems killing children. I guess I can't be your daughter after all. Or what do they call that when you take somebody on board? Impressing? Shanghai into joining his army. Do you want to join my battle? Yeah, no thanks. We're children. He hacks you to death with swords. Pretty violent death. That's, That's one of our violent deaths. I find it kind of touching. Perplexing, but also touching in these books that people are so willing to embrace young adults or children into roles of power, desert warfare, alien espionage. He's in some kind of war. Yeah. We're going to find out later what this war is about. I think we can, uh, you think, think we should can... let him in? So there's aliens. <laughs> aliens. There's aliens. There's aliens hiding in this book somewhere. These aliens who are stealing the desert chieftain's salt. 
Why do you say? <laughs> Why would they need salt? It's a perfect dilemma here. Should we let the people know? <laughs> I think I think they're entitled. Salt powers their spaceships. Mind blown. Not really. Salinizing the ocean to, uh, you know, to get water because mm -hmm. they're just they're desperate for water. And in one of these choices you have, we haven't touched on this, is the experimentation of this book. Within a lot of these choices, there's quite a bit of exposition within the choices. Yeah, it's difficult to describe, but like these books get real formulaic Very pretty fast. quick. That's what's refreshing about oh, this book is that it's extremely experimental Listen. in the choices and the endings. This is like the Citizen Kane of this genre. He breaks the mold. He's doing camera angles. You never shooting the ceiling. Gonna, you're He's, never going to see these again in the history of no, film, you're not. No, but you're it not. seems like it works here because they didn't know it was wrong yet. It's just everything. There's endings that say like the end or maybe not. <laughs> and this exposition with it, usually the choices in a, let's say a standard boilerplate R.A. Montgomery book is, do you go left or right? If you <laughs> go left, turn to page 50. If you go right, turn to page 100. Exactly. There are some in these too. Right. But it's so much more than that. For yeah, and it, and it makes it so much more vibrant and alive. You got an example of that right I, now? I, you know, I have an example right off the top of my head. He says at one point, I can't remember what the context of it, he, is, he says in this choice dilemma, while you're doing that, your dog Harry is chasing a squirrel. Why we need to know that? I have no idea. Awesome. But I love the fact that I know that. And why there's why a squirrel in the desert anyway, I have, I have no idea. But it seems like a very great place to just exactly. add some more writing. You and know? why I bring this up now in this specific section where you're uh, doing the recon for the chief, you're stuck with a choice. So you come upon in your balloon flight another balloon on the horizon. Another hot air balloon. What's another up with this other hot, hot air balloon? Which I thought was amazing. It's cool. Yeah, because a lot of these choices have been your balloon's fucked up in some way. How are you going to fix it? I don't know. Yep. You know you're going down no matter what. But in this instance, if you choose to make peace with the other balloon, you can drift closer. All right, fine. This other choice. But Peter tells you excitedly that warriors of ancient Greece used their shields as mirrors and burned attacking ships with the concentrated rays of sunlight. If you attack, turn your mirror to the sun and focus the rays on page 72. Oh, my God. Just the way he writes. Focus the rays on page 72. Yeah, Not just turning to page 72. I love it. You're focusing the rays on the page. I can't wait to turn to page 72. Breaking the mold. I love it. Love this book. Yeah. Love the way he does this. I wish they just had continued, you know, this kind of experimental yeah, writing with these. Yeah, it's just that little extra bit of care. It just pays back such dividends. I bought his daughter from him for 20 pieces of silver. Most of the characterizations of Peter and Sarah come about in the choices. Yeah. And, it, you know, a lot of these... Unfortunately, if you do choose to focus the rays of the sun, uh, you're shot down by some sort of machine gun. Doing the same trick back at you because it's you. So yeah. I think it's a mirror within a mirror. It's like this infinity mirror Ice. killing you. Infinity mirror. It's a mirror within a mirror. It's like this infinity mirror. It's a mirror within a mirror. It's like this infinity mirror. It's a mirror within a mirror. It's like this infinity mirror. It's a mirror within a mirror. It's like this infinity mirror. It's a mirror within a mirror. It's like this infinity Infinity mirror. It's a 
see. You're I both see. shooting your putting your mirrors up at the same time and you shine the mirror you try peter's greek mirror trick it looks like some world war one flying aces are oh, like machine gunning back to you oh i didn't you know what i didn't look at the picture i think i just read it yeah so it, it, it's funny because initially you think yeah I, I nailed these guys i'm like what wait and this was an ending that i remember i had read earlier in the book one of the first endings that i'd reached kind of blew my mind oh me too yeah this is a mind blower i thought this was an incredible ending i loved it as you drift more closely together you're able to see that the other balloon is the same color and shape. You toss a line and the two balloons, like giant puffer fish in a crystal sea, drift together. The other balloon's passengers are just like you and your friends. Exactly. Even an identical Harry. Somehow you have met yourselves through a time warp. The other you explains that the enemy in the desert is a stranded band of space travelers. The fuel for their spaceship is ordinary salt that you buy in the store, but very rare on the planet from which they come. However, by blasting deep into the desert with lasers in their quest for salt, they have found great pools of fresh water. The answer is obvious, trade salt for water. The desert men will be able to grow bountiful harvests and the space travelers will have fuel. It is all arranged and each balloon returns to its camp to tell the good news of peace and trade. The chieftain rewards you with an honorary citizenship in the desert kingdom, and the UN honors you with a great prize. Kings, presidents, and generals come to you for advice, and though you are happy, you sometimes wonder about the other you. But when you look to the night sky, your eyes fall upon a certain star, and you know. That last sentence is so good doesn't even tell you what you know, it's just you know. That's why I kind of thought that was the one kind of letdown, that elliptical longing. Why didn't I give myself my own address? Why'd you have to go away? We come, 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 we come from distant lands. This is what I call true balloon, Brian. Basically, you have an option to desert the desert chieftain's plans of recon and just kind of fly you just your balloon keep going, south basically. and just explore You don't even Africa. say goodbye, you never look back. Like a safari from above, just kind of watching Africa go by, and it's awesome. I really love this part of the book. Because it's by balloon to the Sahara? The, for real. This yeah. is the true balloon voyage. This is what we came for. This is what was on the marquee when you walked into the theater. I agree. After bidding adieu to the Moorish riders, you travel to the extreme south, deep into Africa. Fuck your parents. Discover the meaning of life in an ancient marble temple, freeze to death in the highest heights, get back to basics forever with an African tribe. They got spears, dances with wolves. One of the deaths that you would suffer here is as the ending. You just never basically find a place to land. You fly up into space. You fly, you your just balloon, keep flying until you fly up to space. It has unlimited altitude somehow, and it flies up and you freeze to death by the moon. Yeah, yeah. Cool. A very cool death. After a while, getting killed by sharks, it just doesn't have that visceral punch anymore. <laughs> Yawn. A snarling pack of panthers trained by man to hunt for man. <laughs> you know, trapped in a cave, just rot to death in terror. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. 
Now to tie Wappy's legs and toss the carcass over my shoulder. Yeah, no, I can't, I can't get off to shark death anymore. It's got to go higher. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This doesn't do it for me anymore, baby. I, 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 I got to get something else. Yeah, I got to just let me fly in outer space and freeze to death. By I the need moon. this. I need to kiss the moon. I need this. Maybe someday, like Aladdin, from whom you got your name, you shall secure a magic lamp. And when you rub it, Perhaps I shall appear instead of a genie. Uh, one of my only real-life things that I remember of ballooning, the first ebook I ever read was called Falling Upwards, and it was all about the history of uh, ballooning and aeronautics. Oh. You know, initially, you know, it was still experimental. So when these guys would fly off on their balloon voyages, they literally would not know what was going to happen. They wouldn't know where they would go. They didn't know how high they would go. It was literally attaching yourself to a... a Balloon. There's got to be a better way to say that. Literally, <laughs> literally, they trusted themselves to the wind. And, and oh, very good. I mean, if you could see Brian's hand motions right now, it really <laughs> sold it. I. <laughs> if you can imagine what this like, so you go up in a balloon. I, I think a lot of these were in Germany or somewhere in in Europe when they were testing a lot of these. And imagine going up in a balloon one night, and you just keep going. And going, and there's no electric light yet, oh, so there's no cities. Even in the cities, oh. it's fires. Oh, or yeah. uh, I think this kind of overlapped gaslight too. So they would just be going over, basically like the moon, just blackness, this black topography. I don't think they even had any light. So basically, you're just in this basket, in the air, kind of hoping that what you know about physics and science is going to save your ass. Yeah. If I remember, one guy I want to say landed in Russia. Well, isn't this how Andrei Rublev starts? Oh you ever see that movie? That's one of my all-time favorite movies. Me too. Beautiful. Oh, we, have, we never talked about this before. And that's one of those movies I, I've seen, I think, maybe once or twice. It's so Out long. of respect. Yeah, yeah. Well, out of length, but also out of just respect. Yeah, I, and it's funny, here. too. That's kind of the best thing about it, because I remember bits and pieces of it, but it's more of the impression. Oh, uh, it like wounds your soul it's like in this, this great way. It's like this holy, burning yeah. impression deep within you. Oh, yeah. You're right. It's the very first... I think it's the first scene. Scene, which is, I think it's like 20 minutes or half yeah. an hour. It's like a bigger chunk of that movie. And the painter is watching the balloonist, right? Yeah. Isn't that, that yeah, where it is? Yeah. Very pure experience of the balloon going. So imagine coming down, um, just the just the uh, just the experience. Uh, what's a what's a word between experience and voyage? Hey, if we were uh, marketing dudes, we'd call it a voice experience <laughs> and be done with it. Her name was uh, Blanchard. This famous figure that kind of brought ballooning to the world made it famous. She was actually the wife of an uh, aeronaut, I guess you could call it, one of these early balloonists. And the guy died somehow by ballooning. And she took up with it. You know, she kind of ah. took the reins. And Napoleon granted her the role of... Wow! You know, exactly. Are like, you making all this up? No, right no, no, no. Why don't we lead with this? You have incredible balloon knowledge. <laughs> I don't know much about ballooning. I went to Costco once. This is no, freaking amazing. It was Omni. Omni, whatever, yeah. <laughs> but it was, uh, yeah, she was so famous. So Napoleon actually made her like the balloonist of France or something like that. It was like an wow. official title. For one of his birthdays or coronations or something, the entertainment was her going up in a balloon and she would light fireworks off from cool. the balloon and wow. everything like that. Yeah, and you think, oh my God, why don't I ever see this anymore? Because it's insanely dangerous and impractical. Yeah. And it's why she ended up dying. Did she uh, light off a firework and Well, explode? she lit off fireworks and it exploded. 
exploded. Cool. And everybody's watching. Cool. And it's one of these deaths that's horrible. It's more. Yeah, but all the French aristocrats are like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, oh, oh. <laughs> it's such a bittersweet ending because way to die. you're dying in the most spectacular way imaginable. Wait, was your song inspired by this, your fireworks in lieu of a eulogy? Was that written <laughs> after you read that? No. I love fireworks. You know, in lieu everybody of eulogy. can watch a fireworks display. Everybody can mourn you like that. What a great way. Everybody goes home. Oh, that was great. That guy was, you know. And listen to a guy say, I wish I was dead <laughs> on infinite loop on with infinite like a delay loop. pedal. Hey. Um, I, I got a, I got a balloon anecdote you do, from you my do. childhood. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of stuff that you cringe about, you remember stuff you did as a kid and did a, did a bad one there or something. Mm -hmm. So I, I was reading, I think this is like maybe third grade ish. Okay. And there's some kind of thing we had to read about the pe people who invented hot air ballooning. And I still remember this name in the state, Joseph Montgolfier. <laughs> Google it, people. Maybe my memory is wrong, but I remember it as Joseph Montgolfier. And I thought this was so great. I read it, and I'm a nerd, right? And the rest of the kids in the class are like, you know, having fun, doing other stuff. I'm like, time to read this. And I read it real fast. Yeah. And I went up to everyone in the class because I thought I came up with a great joke. And I kept saying... <laughs> Joseph Montgolfier was full of hot air. <laughs> and I said it to someone in my class, and they, I can still see it just looking at me. And I'm like, oh, they're looking at, they, they didn't, all right, I'm going to say it to the next person. And I went up to like everyone in class, like, Joseph Montgolfier was full of hot air. And my teacher is like, sit down, Billy. I'm like, no, Joseph, I'm like ex expecting everyone to be like, yes, he nailed it. We've been waiting yeah. all of these third grade classes. He unlocked class. the, oh. the golden. For years, I still didn't realize it. I just had that joke just in my pocket and just yeah, ready yeah. for somebody to talk about hot air ballooning. Hot air ballooning. Like, when's it going to come up? I'm at a family party. When is hot air ballooning going to come up? Or so uh, Joseph Montgolfier. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if that comes up in the crossword puzzle, yeah. give me a, uh, an 18-letter word for a or balloon like, inventor. Dad, you want to go golfing on a mountain? Huh? <laughs> Huh? Come on, come huh? on. Just, just <laughs> come on. I'm, I'm, uh, come on. Yeah, give it to me. Give it to me. Blanchard. Oh, are we that there's was more to this? Jesus. I'm she was constantly pushing her boundaries, how high she could go, how far she could mm. go. And she went up so high that she would get these nosebleeds. She would start freezing. Wow. And she would pass out. Wow. So she actually would go so high up that she would get hypothermia and she would start freezing and she'd pass out, bleeding out of the nose, and she'd wake up still in the balloon oh, and, and have to land the thing. She lived this. I was going to imagine how crazy these yeah. early balloon voyages were. Freezing to death in this balloon with these kids. Very real. That's actually a possibility. Now, the only way that it could have ended better than that, exploding in a firework balloon display before Napoleon. I can think of maybe one other way. And this is it. The night passes and a red golden dawn spreads across the eastern horizon. And as the sun lights the land beneath, you find that you have drifted so far south that you are over the grasslands of Africa. Below, you can see herds of elephants and gazelles running with the wind and hippos snorting in the waters of a mighty river. By noon, you are over foothills, facing a tall range of snow-capped mountains in the south. Africa, you marvel. And Peter explains that there are many mountains in Africa, and great jungles and thousands upon thousands of miles of grassy plains. In the dying rays of sunlight, you set your balloon down gently in the foothills of the great mountains. There, men in white robes greet you and take you to a marble temple. A boy sitting on a simple chair greets you each by name. 
I have been expecting you, he says. And he reveals to all of you the wonders of the universe. And you realize that this is not really the end, but just the beginning. Oh! No! Oh! You can take your Lion King and shove it as far as you can up your ass. Wow! That is how you do Africa, my friends. Fuck yeah. Fuck the Lion King. That didn't even occur to me. Fuck yeah. Fuck the Lion King. Fuck out of Africa. Oh, this kicks the shit out of out of Africa. Oh my god. Not only does it encapsulate this majestic travelogue from desert to mountains, everything that's beautiful about Africa, you get enlightened. Enlightened. By this this boy god? Yes, it's like the child Christ. (laughs) It's not, this is non-denominational too. Just pure truth oozing from the, like... Some temple in Africa, it's so beautiful. How many, your Harry Potter doesn't give you the meaning of no, life. Doesn't. No. No, he doesn't. Whew. Whew. And not only do you not get the end, you get, and if you could see it, it's beautiful. It's like when they describe Dove's font, like these beautiful yeah. things, the way they're arranged on paper. When you see the beginning after this, oh. you feel it. It's one of these amazing cathartic gut punches. I mean, in all these choose your own adventures, it's the end, the end, the end, our whole lives, the end. I've mm-hmm. never seen the beginning. Like this guy, I mean, I, Shakespeare's jealous of that, <laughs> right? <laughs> I think any writer should be jealous of this. I mean, I'm impressed. I couldn't come up with that. Yeah. I mean, I, it's staring you right there in the face, like your your first story you ever write. The end. It's just waiting for you to say no. The beginning. But nope. No one ever did it. No. Only this guy. And it's not just a coy like, or is it? Right. Or one of these other no. things. And he does relentlessly experiment with the ends. There's choices with multiple endings. You can choose two pages for There's, one of those. You die freezing. It says the burr end. Yeah. Or this alien thing. It's when you're getting yeah. eaten. Do you want to continue on? There's the a lot of alternate options. Yeah. And then there's an end where if the dog gets you out, then you can go further. There's a lot of different endings here, but what also makes this one so satisfying is that not only do you get, you know, this, this beautiful scene, which would be satisfying on its own as an ending, you get like an epigram at the end or just something very succinct, just this beautiful coda at the end of this, of this uh, ending with just nothing but beauty. And then, uh, you know, and again, and then the beginning again, it's just such a positive it's one of my favorite endings. This, I mean, we're going to have to keep track of these as we go through the series and kind of maybe we do 10 of these and we go back. But this has got to be an all-timer as far Absolutely. as endings. Like, Absolutely. This is, gonna, this is in the Choose Your Own Adventure Hall of Fame. This is in the Pantheon right here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Reading Roulette, the world's only Choose Your Own Adventure literary podcast. Shoot us an email, readingroulette.com dot podcast at gmail.com listen to us at reading roulette or wherever fine podcasts are sold or give us a like on facebook at uh, reading roulette podcast for reading roulette and brian ward i'm bill lyon reminding you that whether you're pro-choice or pro-gun we can all agree to be pro-reading and pro-adventure